Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing good. I'm good. doing I'm doing okay. How are you? I am a-okay myself. Just hanging out. I got a four-day stretch off of work, so I've just Love been that. Just chilling. That's so nice. Yeah. So anyway, about our case today. Yes. Yes. Give me one word you would use to describe our case today. Insane. Oh, okay. That's a good one. It's crazy. Yeah. What is your word to describe the case for today? Um, that's a good question, Katie. Um, evil. Yeah, that's another good one, I think. Because, man, oh, you guys, I, I was telling you before we started recording, Katie, I was talking to my dad about this case. Because every time we, whatever episode we're doing, I will always tell my dad, well, we're, do- we're covering this. And we always talk about it because he knows every true crime case. And he, he basically was just like, oh, yeah, that was evil. Like, he knew immediately when I said it. Like, yeah, those they were evil. And it's true. It's like the trademark of the case. They're evil. So I'm excited to go into it. Yeah. And without further ado, today we will be covering the case of, of the, the Mont, Mont Vernon Thrill Killing. usual let's get into it with our sources katie i would really appreciate it if you could go first today sure thank I'll, you i'll switch it up thank you so much i'll take one for the team and go oh, first today the team playing and it's so unusual that i go first but <laughs> you know um i'm also gonna keep up with my pattern of switching things up and yes. say that one of my sources that i use was wikipedia oh thank god I feel like a first i feel like i know it's been many moons <laughs> Many moons. I also used Murderpedia. Uh, me too. A classic. Oh my god, I love Bringing it. Bringing that back. Yes. I used NBC News, Boston.com, and then WMUR. Mm. They actually had some videos from inside the courtroom as oh. well as articles. Yeah. The videos mm. made my skin crawl. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Courtroom videos can be so intense. I remember watching them with our... Um, Episode 7, The Baby Doe of Deer Island. Yeah. Watching those, man, even when they're not talking about anything, like, extremely disturbing, it's just a very tense room, and you can feel it even when you're not there. Oh, so good on you for watching that. I don't know how you did it. Yeah. Um, For my sources, I had Wikipedia and Murderpedia as well, and I also had WMUR. Um... I also had some interesting sources such as homeschoolings, invisible children. Okay. (laughs) That'll very briefly come into 
um, play very briefly later. Um, I also had a blog called Cat's True Crime Corner. Okay. They did a great job. I was got most of my stuff from that. And then this website called teenkillers.org, which, hey, if there's enough teen killers to make a website, then that's horrifying. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't like that very much. But yeah, so those are my sources, and um, let's get into it. Sure. You want to start us off? Yeah. So on Sunday, October 4th, 2009, at about 4.15 in the morning, Milford, New Hampshire Police Sergeant Kevin Furlong arrived at Four Trow Road in Mont Vernon, New Hampshire. He was sent there after an open 911 call was made. It was suspected from the phone call that the home had been robbed and or someone had been injured. Mm -hmm. So Sergeant Furlong broke down the front door and he found 11-year-old Jamie Cates with severe cuts to her body and her face. And she looked up at him and she said, they killed my mommy. Oh. My God, when I read that, man, yeah, can you can you imagine being the police officer on the scene and you see this horribly injured little girl? You probably think she's dead. Thank God he noticed she was moving, and then hearing that, oh man, that's awful. That is so terrible. Yeah. So then Jamie proceeded to tell the officers a little bit of what she remembered happening. Um, she of course needed hospital attention because she had, like you said, she had several wounds, stab wounds, slash marks. Um, a part of her foot was missing. Yeah. Oh, I read that and I was like, Jesus Christ, who would do that to a little girl? Well, so basically she told the officers that she was in the bed with her mom the night before her dad was away on a business trip it was the three of them that lived at that home when you know she fell asleep and her mom fell asleep so they ended up just sleeping in the same bed when all of a sudden she woke up and she heard people like breaking into the house you're 11 years old and you're hearing oh that's scary and she hears quick grab the jewelry and that was all that she heard Jesus. <laughs> so you're thinking okay maybe it's just a robbery. Maybe they won't hurt us. Clearly they want something. Okay, right? That would be my thought. Like, give them whatever the hell they want, you know? Um, unfortunately, after the officer um, got Jamie to safety, he continued in the house. And that's when he found 42-year-old Kimberly Cates. And she was dead in her bed. Mm-hmm. Man, she had been s- attacked very viciously brutal yeah the medical examiner arrived on scene and determined that she had suffered from 32 stab and slash wounds in total jamie later said that she only survived the attack by playing dead i'm not gonna lie i've thought of situations and this is our america where like if you're in a public place and there's a shooting yes what would you do and for me i've pictured many times because again america what I would do, and I feel like I would play dead. And clearly, it absolutely can work. And by the grace of God, it did for this little girl. And I'm so glad. But she had to witness her mother being slashed and stabbed to death. 32 times. Oh, my God. Jamie herself had suffered 18 stab wounds. <sighs> like you said, Liz, she lost part of her foot. <sighs> she also had a fractured jaw and stab wounds that came dangerously close to puncturing her heart. 
Yeah. Because that's what they were going for was right. her heart. Right. They yeah. were going to kill was essentially, and we'll talk about it, but they were going to kill. And all Jamie could really remember was that um, there was two, she remembered two men. Mm-hmm. One of them was bald and one was wearing a blue hoodie. And that's really sure, that, that's really all that she could remember. Yeah. Um, which is great and good on her for remembering that, but it's not a lot of information. Luckily, though, <laughs> um, some more information started to come to light real quick. And thank God for teenagers' guilty consciences because Jesus. Yeah. I think that told the story in this regard. Like you said, Katie, it was Sunday when this happened, Sunday, October 4th. And um, later in the evening, a woman named Carol Fenton called the police department and said, my son just told me that he needs to talk to the police. Yeah. Oh. Her son was teenager Kyle, a teenage boy. The guilt was killing him. So he's, you know, he actually went to his mom and said, hey, please, I need to, I need to talk to the police. And so within an hour, the police were at his house. Like, hey, buddy, what could you possibly have to tell us? Yeah, like, (laughs) what? And they knew that this terrible thing happened that morning. So I bet you they probably had some ideas what he was about to say. Um, basically Kyle told them that two of his friends had stopped by his house earlier in the day and he was already with another friend, like at his house, just hanging out. And so when those two friends arrived, um, they basically told Kyle and his other friend that they had broken into a home the night before and murdered two people. And Kyle was like, (laughs) that's a weird joke. Wow. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Wow, that was a crazy dream you must have had last night. <laughs> yeah. Where'd you come up with that yeah. story? Oh. And then he found out it was not a joke. They showed Kyle the murder weapons, showing them off, bragging, yeah. going around like they were so proud of what they did. No remorse, no nothing. It did not seem like they'd ever even heard of that word. And Kyle was so disturbed by this. He did the right thing, and he's like, you know what? I need to tell somebody because I really feel like they're telling the truth. They showed me the murder weapons. Yeah, which were, I think they showed him two knives. And then they also very proudly, like you said, they informed him that they'd also used a machete. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fucked. And so Kyle naturally was like, this is not something I want to have on my chest. And so when he was talking to the police, he identified these two friends. And that's brave, because we all know snitches get stitches. Yeah. (laughs) The age-old adage. The investigation revealed that these two friends of Kyle's, 17-year-old Stephen Spader and 19-year-old Christopher Gribble, they were not alone in this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they had their friends, 18-year-old Quinn Glover and 18-year-old William Marks, come hang out with them. And it appeared very quickly that Stephen and Christopher were the ringleaders of this. Right, It was their idea. Yeah. Stephen was kind of the main guy behind this. He was kind of the brains of the operation. For sure. Um, Not that there's a lot going on upstairs, but, (laughs) you know, (laughs) for the sake of the story, he, he was the brains of the operation. Right. Um, he had decided that he wanted to form a club 
called the Disciples of Destruction. He even designed a logo with the initials D-O-D on it. Mm. And he recruited members and told his recruits that they were going to participate in a home invasion. And that would be the initiation into the club. God. How creative. (laughs) Right? Like, Like, where do you come up with this? But then the other two boys are like, I mean, I guess we could break into a house like if nobody's in the house we could just kind of crawl in through a window and maybe take something and call it a day right it's easy enough especially when you're a teenage boy i feel like they're easily influenced and it didn't seem like outwardly there was going to be any violence yeah you know um what's crazy to me too is that in one article i read um when kyle fenton gave the police christopher and steven's names the police were like wait a minute, why do we know those names? And it turns out that morning, um, there was a police officer like driving around and discovered a suspicious vehicle that immediately sped away as soon as the occupants saw the police car. You'll never guess who was in that car. Steven and Christopher. They were just kind of hanging around and the police officer was just kind of doing like patrol or whatever and saw this car nearish the crime scene you know when he saw that they freaked out and drove off that's when he decided to pursue them wow little did they know that in the back seat or in the trunk was like bloody weapons and bloody clothes Jesus. but the officer let them go without a problem because they just seemed like two like teenage boys just needing like out past their curfew or whatever so they left so imagine that police officer's surprise when this oh, kid is like, their names were God. this. And he was like, well, fuck. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh. Oh, my God. And it seemed like everybody that was a part of this that actually had a soul, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, yep. was coming forward. Yeah. Their other friend, 20-year-old Autumn Savoy... He initially was backing up Stephen and Christopher, like, yeah. yeah, I don't know what they're talking about. They were with me that night. Oh, God. And then it's weighing on him and weighing on him. And he's like, you know mm-hmm. what? No. He went to the police. Yeah. He said, I know I originally said that they were with me. I gave you guys an alibi. Mm-hmm. I lied. They came over right after the attack. I helped them get rid of some bloody clothes in the river. Oh, my God. In the Nashua River nearby. Wow. Good for him. And then, as if it wasn't enough that he helped them dispose of blood-soaked clothes, (laughs) they all hung out in his room Mm -hmm. and Googled the case. Mm -hmm. And that is how they found out that Jamie Cates had survived. Yeah. And apparently, when they found out that she had lived, Stephen especially was giving so much shit to Christopher, saying that he, you know, because he was the one that was attacking and when he found out that he did not finish the job he was embarrassed and mad and he said later that he just he wanted to go back and kill her that he was so mad he wished he had killed her that was the goal yeah i know isn't that that's great that's really great that's so nice to hear chrissy great (laughs) and all these people are tattling essentially on these boys and my god am i glad they did yeah And it didn't stop with Kyle. It didn't stop with Autumn Savoy. There was another teenager who actually went to his school resource officer on Monday, um, the day after the attack. And, you know, he said that the day before he had taken a whole bunch of drugs and was hanging out with these four boys when they were bragging about the attack. 
like literally bragging that they had killed people. And so, you know, the student, just like Kyle Fenton, didn't think they were telling the truth. Like, oh, this is a weird, wacky joke you're saying right now. Um, but it turned out, you know, the boys decided to describe in detail to this teenager how they did it. And he realized, oh, shit, this is not a joke. Yeah. And so, naturally, um, the boy told his resource officer and was like, this is weighing very heavily on me and I am very sad. Um, he even went with the four teenagers to go pawn off some of the jewelry that they stole. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he claims that he also saw the machete that they had used to kill Kimberly in that um, it was clean, but it smelled like ammonia and bleach. Like they had just cleaned it. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yep. I know. It's not terrible. Um, and then he, uh, <laughs> get this. This teenager, his name was never announced. He said they were still hanging out, like, after they'd pawned the jewelry and stuff. It's still Monday, and these kids are bragging about killing. And um, they were actually making plans to do it again. And this kid got a call from his girlfriend, who was also a student at their high school or whatever. And she said she heard rumors that, um, basically about the Kate's attack, and wanted to know if it was true that Billy Marks was involved in it. Oh, so the rumor shit. mill, it was spinning. Wow. And you know what? It wasn't it wasn't a rumor mill, it was true. And it but it was spreading fast. So I feel like it got pretty bad pretty quickly for these kids. For sure. Yeah. This William Marks or Billy Marks character, so he was questioned by police mm-hmm. because obviously hello, he was part of it. He came clean about everything. Yeah, he did. He came clean about absolutely everything he told them they got into the house through a basement window mm-hmm. he thought the plan was to just go in take a thing or two yay hooray we did it we're part of the club <laughs> right we're all set right wrong <laughs> he's in the basement he said that he thought the house was empty right that was the whole reason that they were like oh yeah let's pick this house it's empty right he heard Two boys upstairs, which we later find out are Christopher and Stephen. Right. And then William said he heard a woman's voice saying something along the lines of, you don't have to do this. Oh. And then he heard screaming. Yeah. And then he went upstairs and he saw a young girl and her mom on the floor with multiple stab and slash wounds. Yeah. Um, prosecution later on said that all of the boys knew that they were going in with the intent to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. This isn't true. Yeah. Steven and Christopher knew exactly what was going to happen in that house. Right. The other two boys just thought it was going to be a breaking and entering type situation. Right. Which is still not good. No. But, hey, I'd rather you do that than kill somebody. And it's crazy because it was premeditated by all four of the boys. Right. They scoped out the house because it was down an isolated street. Right. And before they broke in the house, they shut off the electricity. Mm. Yeah. So even if, you know, Kimberly survived. Right. Could she have made a phone call to 911? Right. Could she have, you know, turned on the light to see what was going on? Right. Terrifying. Yeah. Especially for that little girl. Yeah. And, you know... Billy Marks, he really did, like you said, he told everything. The whole, the whole story. And I'm, I'm really loving these guilty consciences. Like I said, it's really come into play into this story. He was telling literally everything so much so from like 
down to the detail of them using the light of an iPod touch screen that they stole. Wow. To, like, navigate themselves through this house. Because, like you said, they cut the power. Yeah. It was dark. Um, he also said um, he watched, you know, um, the boys check Kimberly to make sure that she was dead. But they did not check Jamie. They just checked Kimberly. So that's why she lived. Because she played dead. They were like, who cares? It's a kid. And then they, that ended up being their, their demise. For sure. I know. It's wow. terrible. And then they ransacked the house one more time for good luck. And left. Yep. Real, real winners uh-huh. here. Real, really great people. Yep. I love that. It's so nice. Um, apparently they celebrated by smoking some cigars. Great. Love that for you. Great. You know, people will smoke a cigar after like a wedding or the birth of their first grandson. Graduation. Like all these sorts of, yeah. I love that. For some reason though, after murdering a woman, I'm not really tracking the whole need to celebrate, you know? Like really? You're going to smoke a cigar like a douchebag? so dumb basically like you said at this point this is when they went and they threw everything in the river with autumn savoy and it was all that um and then they found out in the morning that they checked you know the news and saw that only kimberly died and that's when they started to give shit to christopher because he had quote failed to kill jamie failed So when investigators talked to Jamie after she had recovered mm-hmm. enough to, you know, recall what had happened that day, she said, you know, she was sleeping in her mom's bed. Her mm-hmm. dad was away. Her mom and her woke up because they heard a noise. And then Jamie watched her mom get up to go check it out. Mm-hmm. And then two men entered the room. Mm-hmm. And she said one of them was holding a sword, oh. which we later find out was a machete. Right. If you've never seen a machete, I mean, my mom brought one back from Costa Rica. I was like, oh. why is this in the house? Like, yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And thick, too, right? Like, they're a, it's a big blade. Oh, yeah. You <sighs> use it to, like, she was using it in Costa Rica to mm-hmm. go through rural jungles. Yeah. To slice down branches and thick leaves and, yeah. Yep. So where did they even get this? Like, I... <laughs> Truly. That's, that's besides the point, but, like, come on. You like talk to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, Mom, how'd you get that through customs? Right. <laughs> She's like, oh, I don't know. It was fine. Yeah, like, all right, sure. You brought a machete back on, on a, a plane? plane? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is post-9-11. This is, like, four years ago? What? Oh. Yeah. Even worse. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm like, I guess if someone breaks into the house, I could use a machete. I mean, clearly it does some damage yeah. in this case. Like, Oh, yeah. But it was so vague that Jamie said it was, it looked like a sword. Yeah. Jamie said she then tried to step in front of her mom to protect her. But the man started stabbing and slashing them both. Yeah. He actually stabbed her in the right lung. Mm-hmm. He threw her against a glass door and then kicked her and stabbed her. And then she said the other man came in with the knife and mm-hmm. then stabbed her and stabbed her mom. And then she pretended to be dead yeah. while she knew that her mom was dying. Right. What else, I mean, what else can you do? What, right, what else are you supposed to do? Like, you can't... It's a split-second decision yeah. and such a terrible, terrible situation. I think that was a really smart decision on her part. I do, too. I mean, it saved her life. 
oh, even hearing that what was going on next to you, I yeah. I can't even process that. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, when police, you know, of course they had to interrogate all of the boys separately. Um, when they interrogated Stephen, basically the ringleader, he immediately threw Christopher under the bus. Wow. And apparently they were lifelong best friends. Like yeah. since they were tiny. And he immediately was like, uh, did you talk to Christopher, dude? Because he was the whole reason we did this. Lying piece of shit. It was definitely Stephen and Christopher. Not just one. Basically, Stephen claimed that he didn't commit the crimes he's being accused of and that while he did not know who did it, he thought that they deserved the death penalty. <laughs> what? Yeah, he said that. About himself. Yeah. I don't... Okay. Right? Right? Okay. And then he claimed that, well, it's true. I was with Christopher when he pawned the jewelry off, but I didn't know how he got it and where it came from or who it belonged to, but I did go and pawn the jewelry with him. Okay. <laughs> like, sure. Um, and then when it was time for Christopher to be interrogated, he was like, no, 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 I found the jewelry. It was like cheap jewelry from Walmart. And then I pawned it off as real jewelry. And they're like, okay, great. Like, this is cool. We're talking about jewelry. But can we just circle back to the, like, the murder part? Right. We don't give a shit about the jewelry. <laughs> who cares? It was probably cubic straco. Like, who gives a shit? Let's talk about the people you killed and tried to kill. Like, dumb. And then, <laughs> basically, this is so fucked. Christopher Gribble, when he was being interrogated, he asked police if, um, even though he wasn't a part of it, if the crimes they were talking about would make, you know, whoever did it eligible for the death penalty, you know, just to, just curious. And when they were like, no, I don't think so. He seemed to perk up apparently and got really excited and started to just talk a little bit more. Basically, Gribble said that it was all con conspiracy and that, um, he and Spader were psychopaths. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like, oh my God. He also told police officers that he wanted to kill somebody for a long time. Yeah. And he stated, it's cool because it's different. Uh, uh, what? What? You know what's different? Wearing a hat backwards. <laughs> or maybe, or maybe like walking to school. Um, yeah. In the winter. I don't... Anything is yeah, different. Yeah, you know, it's, that, that's not how you set yourself apart from oh. your your peers and be edgy. But yeah. telling someone, like, what's yeah. the matter with you? Oh, my God. To be yeah. different. Yep. He also said that he felt disappointed that he didn't feel anything after killing somebody. Oh, my God. Because you're a sociopath. Yes, because you literally self-proclaimed, and maybe it's true. Yep. Jesus. And then... It also came out that Spader and Gribble, the two ringleaders, they secretly made a pact with each other that, you know, when they went with Marx and Glover, um, they were going to kill the people who were inside. They didn't tell that to the other two kids. They said, we're just going to go burglarize this home, get jewelry, get money. Great. Yes. But the two boys knew in their head, we're going to go somewhere. If there's people inside, we're going to fucking kill them. Yeah. Isn't that just so... Ugh. Evil. Evil. Yeah. Yeah. So on Tuesday, October 6th, literally two days later, yeah. um, the boys were arraigned at the Milford District Court. Um, 
Baseline, Spader and Gribble were charged with first-degree murder, attempted murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. Marks and Glover were charged with burglary, conspiracy to burglary, and robbery. And then Autumn Savoy, who you mentioned, um, was charged with two counts of hindering apprehension or prosecution and one count of conspiracy to commit hindering apprehension or prosecution. And then Savoy, Glover, and Marks actually agreed to testify against Gribble and Spader. Wow. Good for them. They were so disturbed by what mm-hmm. happened. Like. Yeah. You know, they first thought that they're going to go along with it and they're going to help cover it up because it's their friends. Right. And they want to be in this club or whatever. (laughs) And then they're like, no, like, we have to be basic, decent humans and at least go to the police and Mm -hmm. tell them the full story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. Watching the videos of Christopher and Stephen give their account of what happened in court was like it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Yeah. They both had no remorse, no empathy, mm-hmm. no basic human decency. Yeah. They were proud of themselves. They're bragging on the stand. And mind you, Jamie and her father David Cates are both oh, there in the room. That's right. And they're bragging to the jury, they're bragging to the judge, anybody that they think is listening to them, they're bragging about what they did. Mm-hmm. Christopher especially He fully looked like he was proud of himself. Oh, my God. When he was on the stand, he was saying that the scene looked like something you would see on CSI. Okay. And he was bragging that he knew just the right angle to stab Kimberly so she would die. Oh, my God. What a terrible thing to say. And he's proud. Like, you can find these videos. I don't know if you want to watch them because they're horrific. But, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, he's, like, bragging. It was crazy. I only saw, like, stills from the court, just, like, pictures. And there's actually one on our website of yes. Christopher Gribble. Yeah. And, man, he looks... I can't imagine watching that. Unhinged. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing behind those eyes but evil thoughts. And yeah. happy with it, too. Oh, he's so pleased. He's so pleased with himself. That's so awful. Jesus. Christopher's defense team... Oh, I, lo- I love this. Oh. I love this oh. little tidbit. <laughs> Christopher's defense team tried to argue that he had several mental disorders, mm-hmm. and they actually tried to get him an insanity plea. Which we've talked about before on here, like specifically with our Mark Bouchard case. Yes. And man, we learned that it's not easy to get that actually like accepted, like guilty, not guilty by reason of insanity. Right. So the fact that they tried to do this for someone who's clearly sane and just a terrible, evil person. Yeah. Jesus. Bullshit. <laughs> The prosecution came back and was like, yeah, I don't think so. He (laughs) planned this. Yeah. They were fully in on this from the get-go. They planned this. They, on purpose, excluded the other two boys from the plan because they knew that they would not agree with it. Right. They scoped out the house. They cut the power. Yeah. They came in with weapons. (sighs) Yeah. So, um, the prosecution actually said... He knew exactly what he was doing, and he feels no remorse. And they they said, they're like, he's a sociopath. Literally. (laughs) He even admitted it himself. Yeah, he's like, I'm a sociopath. Hello. Like, you're not insane if you're a sociopath. You know what you're doing. You're planning these things. Right. And this is also something that came up during Christopher's trial. Um, You might have remembered from when I was reading my sources, I mentioned homeschooling's invisible children. Yes. Well, apparently... 
Christopher Gribble claimed that part of the reason why he committed murder was because he was homeschooled. Oh! And that um, his he hated his mom for doing that to him. Right. And that he wasn't socialized properly because of it. So he blamed homeschooling. Mm-hmm. No, like, legit. And I'm sure everyone, like, in the audience was, like, listening in and, like, the jury. And they were like, mm-hmm. homeschooling. Okay. Yeah. Love that. So you did, you did like, computer work at home. And... <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's definitely it. And you know there's a couple people in the audience looking at each other like, I was homeschooled. Yeah. <laughs> what is, I haven't what is he saying? Yeah, what is he saying? Like, <laughs> so ridiculous. He said he did admit to that he had always wanted to kill his mom, which is perfect. Great. Perfect. No, say it louder for the jury, please. Honestly, it's so dumb. Ugh. Yeah. And so basically for him, the jury only deliberated for two hours. Oh, good. I feel like it was one of those situations where they went in and were like, let's get our free lunch and just kind (laughs) of chit chat and then um, we can go out there and kick this guy's ass yeah for sure good oh god jamie didn't want to testify understandably so yeah she was like maimed in this attack yeah she was there during the court proceedings and the judge in the middle of it looked at her and said these men are never gonna hurt you again oh my god i got chills so the judge is like you know, we're sending these guys away. Like, yes. don't, you don't have to worry about anything. We're sending yep. these guys away. Good. Jamie actually baked cookies for the prosecution. Oh. <laughs> and they kept one of the cookies on their desk as a good luck charm. That is so Isn't cute. That really sweet? Yeah. Oh, my God. This, like, little 11-year-old girl, she survived an attack by playing dead. Yeah. Part of her foot was hacked off. Yeah. She spent weeks in the hospital, lost yeah. so much blood. She baked the prosecution cookies. <laughs> If I didn't know better, I'd say that would be bribing, but it's <laughs> definitely not. She's a little girl. Right. And here we have common sense. Yes. A verdict of common sense. <laughs> right. Exactly. That is crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Both Stephen and Christopher were sentenced to life in prison, each getting the sentence of life plus 76 years. So the breakdown for the 76 years, I thought, was really well thought out. <laughs> I was very, it was kind of satisfying, yeah. honestly, to see the breakdown okay so 26 of those years were for charges such as conspiracy to commit murder okay conspiracy to commit burglary burglary like the whole right right and the other 50 years were for the attempted murder of jamie cates Mm -hmm. and the murder of kimberly and each year represented a stab wound because jamie was stabbed 18 times and kimberly was stabbed 32 times oh my god so they sentenced both boys an additional year for every stab wound that they inflicted. Oh, my God. Good. Yeah. I think that is actually very interesting that they did that. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, And even so, Spader, at his trial, he pled not guilty, too, (sighs) which I feel like everyone who's guilty does. Um, And there was so much... There was so much circumstantial evidence. And with Christopher's trial, it was just... They were all... It was known that they were going to go away for a long, long time. Yep. On the other hand, though, the accomplices, a little differently, ended a little bit differently for them. So Billy Marks actually pled guilty um, to conspiracy to commit murder and burglary. And he also um, pled guilty to being an accomplice to first-degree assault. Um, He did this in exchange for a reduced sentence 
and he got 30 to 60 years in prison. Wow. Yeah. For him, and we were talking about this a little bit, I, out of all of those guys, the one that I, I don't even have the right word for it, the one that I respect the most, and that I say that word very lightly, yeah. is Billy Marks, because for sure. he told everything. He immediately was like, yeah, this is totally insane. This is not, this is not good. Well, on the other hand, Quinn Glover, he, um, when he was interrogated, he initially started to say something and then immediately was like, um, I need my lawyer. I refuse. I need my lawyer. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he, he was not a fan of Quinn Glover Wow. because he immediately was like, yeah, no, I'm not speaking without my lawyer, bitch. He actually pled guilty to robbery, burglary, and conspiracy to commit burglary, also in exchange for a reduced sentence. And he got 20 to 40 years. So a little bit less, yeah. which honestly, why'd he get le- less than Billy? Right. Yeah, that's an interesting little tidbit there. Just realized that. Hmm. And then Autumn Savoy, who you mentioned, he pled guilty to conspiracy and hindering apprehension and prosecution in exchange for a reduced sentence. He was sentenced to five to 12 years in prison, and he actually got out in 2015, which was about six years after the incident. That's right. Interestingly enough. Yeah. And we got to remember, he wasn't there. Right. He was just a like a pre-agreed to be their alibi. Yes. And then he was like, wait a second. Yeah. He's like, I don't know if I really am all for this. Yeah. Like the machete is kind of what. Yes. Uh, yep. Wouldn't that throw you off too? Absolutely. Ugh. Terrible. So, yeah. During Steven Spader's hearing in April of 2013, so he got a hearing because he was a minor at the time of this crime. Right. Um, in 2012, there was a U.S. Supreme Court ruling. Um, the case is Miller versus Alabama, if anyone's curious. Mm. But this affected minors being sentenced to life. Mm. So Stephen was sentenced to life and he was a minor at the time. Right. So they gave him another resentencing hearing. And he told his attorneys that he did not want to reduce sentence. And he described himself as, quote, the most sick and twisted person you'll ever meet. <laughs> the state of New Hampshire actually said that Stephen lacked remorse and he considered remorse unnecessary and a form of weakness. Oh my God. And they said he would likely commit more crimes upon release from prison. I think that's fair. Yeah. Wow. Um, Stephen Spader was moved to a men's prison in Trenton, New Jersey in 2014, while Christopher Gribble is still at the New Hampshire prison in Concord. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Fun fact, he's on the special housing unit because he's a little pussy-ass bitch (laughs) and needs extra protection. Oh, I cried for you. He was actually, they took him out of that unit and moved him down to general population in 2013. Uh It lasted three hours. (laughs) (laughs) Three hours. He was in general pop for three hours. He got his ass beat so bad that he had to go back to the special unit. (laughs) Oh my, how pathetic. Yeah. What a pathetic little man. And to end on a positive note, David and Jamie Cates created the Kimberly Cates Memorial Scholarship Fund. It assists graduating Sauhegan High School seniors with pursuing careers in healthcare and the medical field because Kimberly was a nurse. Yeah, she was. You can find out more at kimcatesfund.org and donate if you're able to. That's wonderful. Uh Wow. Yeah, that's a little, little something positive. That is. I love hearing that. Yeah. That's great. Wow, yeah. That was 
crazy. That was, in two words, insane and evil. And we've had this case on our list for a very long time. It's high up there. Yeah, so I'm glad that we were able to talk about it because this to this day is still one of New Hampshire's most violent crimes. Yes, absolutely it is. And man, those two main boys, they did not give a shit. No remorse. Not even a little. Terrible stuff. Yeah. So if you guys want to talk to us about this case, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at truecrimene, all lowercase, or you can send us an email at truecrimene at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website, truecrimene.com. You can browse around, look at our other cases, and you can even use our submission tool to send us in cases, questions, comments, concerns, nice things you'd like for us to talk about, cases you'd like for us to cover, or just say hi just say hi you can be anonymous if you so choose but we'd love to hear from you either way yeah so check it out yeah. we work very hard on that website so it means a lot to us that we get a lot of page views yes for sure um and with that we'll see you next week bye goodbye <laughs>